Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we talk with a political candidate who wants to be the new U.S. congressman from Missouri's 1st District. Corey Bush is an ordained pastor and a registered nurse and is taking on longtime incumbent 1st District Congressman Lacey Clay in the August 7th Democratic primary. He has never lost an election. She has never won one. She's an ordained pastor, a nurse, and an activist, and she has a new friend, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She recently and surprisingly toppled a longtime incumbent Democratic congressman in New York. She was in town recently to campaign for Cory Bush. Cory Bush is with me in studio along with political reporter Jason Rosenbaum. Welcome, Cory. Great Thank to see you. you. Clearly, you want to replicate uh, Ocasio-Cortez's action in New York of just a couple of weeks ago. She calls herself a democratic socialist. Do you? I don't. And the reason why I'm I'm not caught up in labels, this is not about having a title because sometimes those titles and those labels shut you back and people won't listen to your message. Um, I'm, this is about policy. This is about the people. Uh, so you can call me peanut butter if you want to. Just let yeah. me do the work. One, right. one of the things that Ocasio-Cortez has really championed is Medicare for all, which I know is something yes. that you want to do too. And there's been clips that's been kind of floating around social media where she's asked, how do you pay for that? Um, I know that as a member of Congress, you'll be one vote out of 100 or 435. Right. But how would you want to make that actually happen, implement that kind of policy aspiration into actual policy for the American people? Well, so um, it's already being worked on. So what we would be able to do going in is to go in and help push this. Um, I would say when people ask about how do you pay for it, Medicare for all is something that would help as a nurse, I see people that come into the clinic. I see people going into hospitals that don't have health care coverage. They go in for a toothache. They need to go to the emergency room. They're seen in the emergency room. They're seen there for a sinus infection, whereas preventative care would have taken care of that and we wouldn't have spent the extra money. Um, so I think that if we're not spending as much money on wars, if we're not spending as much money, um, it, it's, it's all about money is there, but how do we allocate it? Um, I think if we can come up with the money to take families and separate them and build these tents, build these tent camps and um, put people, put these, put children all across the country in these foster care um, systems. We're spending millions of dollars a day. If we have the money to do that, then we can come up with the money to make sure that our, um, that health care is taken care of. I mean, other countries do it. You know, we know that Denmark has done it. We know France has done it. Switzerland has done it. Sweden has done it. Canada has done it. So why can't we do it? What did you learn about all of this uh, in your loss for the Senate seat? Oh, wow. So I learned that definitely money is there. Like money is a true part of um, running for a um, running for office, you know, especially on a federal level. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I learned that if you can motivate the people, if you can mobilize, you know, it's not about outspending. Sometimes you can outorganize. And I believe that's what Alexandria did. And um, so Alexandra and I, we actually met back in April of 2017. So we've been working together ever since then. And just to see the growth and to see how people pushed her campaign. That's the same thing we're seeing here in St. Louis. People are pushing our campaign. No, we don't have the money, but we're out on the ground. One of the things I've heard from some of the groups that are supporting you over Lacey Clay is they say, 
Lacey Clay has taken money from political action committees, and I don't believe that you have on right. any significant level, even if there are some third-party groups that are supporting you. Explain why that matters to the average voter. I, I understand, like, reporters like Don and I pay attention to campaign financing, but yes. to the average voter, that may not fall very highly on their list compared to what is a congressperson going to do to revitalize an economically depressed area or what they're going to do in foreign policy. Just explain why you think that difference matters to the everyday person. Because I am one of those everyday people. I felt left out of the conversation for years, just not feeling like uh, our government, like our um, representatives represented me uh, as a single parent, as someone who struggled to make ends meet. Um, um, Definitely um, sometimes looking for how will we eat next week, you know. Um, So that person being in that position – not accepting corporate PAC money to me says that that person that can only donate twelve dollars to their favorite candidate still has just as much of a voice as someone that can as a corporation that can donate thousands. I want to make sure that those people know that I that that representative actually knows them and speaks to their situations. Because for me, it's all about lived experience. I believe lived experience should be seated in Congress. And that lived experience says, I know what that's like. It says, I know what it's like to go take out a payday loan and to struggle to have to pay it back because the interest is so high. You know, I know that's that's who I want to represent. That's part of who I want to represent anyway, because I know our district is full of people from all different walks of life. But we can't leave out people that are walking through that struggle from the conversation. I I know you say that Lacey Clay has been around too long Mm -hmm. and that should be replaced. But isn't there a value to the kind of experience that he has and the tenure he has? I mean, seniority in Congress is a big deal. Uh, You know, have choice choice, uh, appointments to various committees and what have you. Therefore, you can do more for your constituents. Or? Or. The way I look at it is this. Experience is great. It's it's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. And if that experience isn't directly affecting the people on the ground that you're supposed to represent, do we feel that experience? What I what I believe is I can go into Congress and make I can make friends. I can build I can build, you know, relationships with people. Get me in the door, because one thing that we saw is when we when we hit the ground in Ferguson, we didn't know one another. Hundreds of us of us. We didn't know one another. We built a coalition of groups. One thing that we know is St. Louis has so many silos that we're trying to break down. I wasn't as familiar with our Palestinian brothers and sisters. I wasn't ex- as as familiar with our Latinx community and our and our LGBT community before we before that thing started. But we were able to come together and build a coalition that has been able to continue on up till today, getting stronger and stronger. So in that same way, we were able to push aside the things that that were different um, and foster those relationships to see change in our community. I believe I can do that same thing going to Congress. I'm glad that you mentioned Ferguson because one of the struggles that I've witnessed as a reporter is trying to get public policy change, at least on the state level in Missouri. It's been a massive struggle even as other states are passing Ferguson-related laws. What would you want to do on a federal level? What policies would you advocate for that kind of fall within the law enforcement criminal justice accountability realm. Right. So um, I know that there is an effort right now to um, end the cash bail system. Um, so I'm very uh, I'm aware of that. But that's something that I definitely want to push for. Um, I would love to see. Um, so I believe that police officers, um, and let me say this first, because people try to say that you're anti-police. I'm not anti-police. I'm anti-police brutality. Um, I'm all for police being held accountable. 
Um, I believe that police officers should, that are accused of um, discrimination, some type of racial profiling, police officers that have been, um, and not, let me say not accused, investigated and found to be guilty, should not be able to then go to another department and do the same thing. Um, so putting measures in place, putting a policy in place that would stop that. What about a policy that says, hey, you have to get um, insurance. Let's insure you. Now, I, I'm not all for insurance companies. Let me make that clear. But if a police officer has insurance and if they are found to be guilty of this racial profiling incident or murdering someone and it was unjustified, now you can now you can't be insured. Now that family receives some money because of what happened and then you can't be insured and so you can't go work for another department. Um so I think that some of those things are kind of basic that we can do ourselves. Do you have a sense, uh, Corey, that uh, there's going to be more participation this time around uh, by young people? I mean, obviously, you know a lot of them through your activism. Yes. And a lot of people are suggesting that that's what's going to be happening this fall. Are you seeing that as you go out and campaign? Are you seeing young people involvement? Yes, young people involved. Well, in our campaign and um, the swell of volunteers that have um, joined us over the last few weeks has been basically young people coming out saying that I've I've never been a part of this before. I don't really know what to do, but I want to do something. So I want to be a part. And um, we're seeing millennials. We're seeing even, you know, people even younger than that. So um, there and there's room. So we've been inviting them in. Bring your own skills and your own talent. I know this might seem like an odd question for the millennial questioner to ask, but there are older residents in the 1st Congressional District who have been loyal to the Clay family for decades. Maybe it's because they have an affinity for Lacey Clay's father, Bill Clay. Yes. Maybe they have an affinity mm -hmm. for Lacey Clay, who's been in elected office for 30 years. How do you break through that loyalty and how do you convince people that have voted for Clay time after time after time, even against strong opponents, to vote for you this time? So a few ways. So one, some people have some of those same people have said, well, we're just ready for change. You know, we're not saying that that person was bad or anything. We're just ready for change. Some have said we would be happy to see the very first congresswoman for this district during our lifetime. So I've heard that. I've heard some say I want to see the very first black congresswoman from our state. And the other is just saying that they would love to see the torch being passed. They would love to see a smooth transition to someone else that has some fresh ideas. And then someone who is just of the working class, you know, someone like, you know, I'm a nurse, you know, so having that the heart of a nurse seated in Congress, people are inspired by that. Well, if uh, if you are elected to Congress, would you vote for Nancy Pelosi to retain her leadership role? Wow, that is such a loaded question. <laughs> um, at this point right now, um, I would say no. There are a lot of people that are stepping up, um, but I would have to I'd have to look into that a little bit more. But as of right now, if I had to vote today, no. Because? Because I think that it's time for some it's time for mm -hmm. some change. And I know that there are other people that really want to step up. I know Representative Lee. Um, I know there are some people that I think that would um, it's time for fresh and, you know, new. It's time for Cory Bush is what it's time for Cory Bush right now. <laughs> I, what committees would you want to serve on in Congress? I know when we talked before, you were really interested <clears throat> in education. But I want, were there any specific congressional committees you would be interested in serving on that affect the St. Louis area? Yeah. So um, I've said this before, and I've gotten a little pushback because I'm not an attorney, but the House Judiciary Committee. So even though I'm a nurse, but I believe that that's an area that um, because of Ferguson and because of just so many things that have happened here and are still happening, I think that 
um, somebody like me that that would be a good place for me. It can't just be all attorneys sitting there. It shouldn't be anyway. Well, in Missouri, the Missouri Senate has so few attorneys that there are a lot of non-attorneys mm-hmm. on that. So it's not unprecedented. I'm currently, Lacey Clay is on the Financial Services Committee and the House Oversight Committee, which are two very important committees. Mm-hmm. Do you have any interest in serving on those? And do you think it would be valuable um, for St. Louis to have representation on those types of committees as well? Absolutely. Um, to be represented, yes. Um, as far as the Finance Committee, um, I would need to... Right now, I don't know that I just don't know that that would be the first one that I would be considering. Um, and I, like I said, it would be the House Judiciary. Um, but I think both of those are important that you brought up. Absolutely important. And they directly affect our community. We have to take a break. We're talking with Cori Bush, who is running for uh, Congress. She's running for in the Democratic primary on August 7th against Lacey Clay, a, a veteran a congressman, needless to say. Back to continue this conversation in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. And welcome back to our conversation with Cory Bush, who is running for Congress and is on the ballot in the 1st Congressional District in the August 7th primary. Corey, I know education is one of the principal planks uh, of your platform, and you refer to something called trauma-informed training for school faculty. What is that, and, and, and why is that? So as a nurse uh, in mental health, I see every day how uh, trauma, people that have been, um, that have witnessed some type of trauma, been, uh, been involved in some type of um, traumatic incident, how that affects their everyday lives. I see it in children. I see it in adults. One thing that we've also seen is that when you um, when you train uh, teachers, when you train staff, and then you also give care to children that have been um, that have suffered from type, some type of trauma, it helps those children to be able to function in class. It helps them to be able to um, to learn. Whereas people would have said that this child has ADHD or this child may be suffering from uh, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. where we're diagnosing them improperly, when really it was just some type of PTSD. So. Um, what we're doing is saying, hey, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that we find out this child witnessed someone being murdered. You know, so that so now no, this child doesn't eat. No, this child can't sit in their classroom um, and listen to a teacher because we have to deal with that first. So to me, that's hugely important, especially seeing um, all of the people that I've encountered that have come out of our um, the prison system. That come, um, I've witnessed so many people come out of the prison system, and when I go through their charts, when I look to see what's going on with them, we can go all the way back to a trauma that happened to them. Mm-hmm. And so now they're walking that thing out as an adult. <laughs> if we deal with it as children, then we will have a- adults that are living better lives. And so those teachers looking at that student, not thinking, not, not saying, hey, it's something wrong with you. It was just a trauma that we need to deal with. I know this is kind of a, a, a somewhat vague question, but I think one of the most important roles of a congressperson or a senator is whether to vote for America to go to war, or to initiate military hostilities or not. What would be kind of your philosophical approach when you're asked to vote on something like that? Um, 
and, and what are you going to keep in mind before you vote yes or no? Because mm-hmm. I, I, out of all the issues we talk about today, and this one doesn't get brought up very often, I think this is one of the most sobering responsibilities of a federal official. I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear your, your, your philosophical perspective on that. So I support our veterans. I support our troops. Um, I come from a family of veterans, and, um, and so I support them. But I also believe that we should not be policing the world. I don't believe that that's our job. I think that we have so many things going on in our own country that we need to tend to. We have people we have we have people living out their own private wars that we need to address. So, um if something is coming against our country directly that is affecting our country or our allies to the point to where we we have to step in, that's different. But if it's something that if if that's not the case, then I think that we need to not be everybody's policemen. We have to take care of us. You mentioned the criminal justice system and Mm -hmm. and, and young men, women who've been incarcerated. What sort of ideas do you have for criminal justice reform? It's a big topic these days. It's talked about a lot, but not much seems to happen. Yeah. So um, as a campaign, one thing we've already started working on is um, making sure that there are jobs for people who have been in, incarcerated. Because one thing is, we can't build St. Louis if we're not building families, and we can't build we can't build families and then leave out certain ones because of a history. So one thing we've been doing, going around to corporations, because one thing we hear is people, as politicians, will say we're going to bring jobs, we're bringing jobs, bringing jobs. We have corporations that have said we have jobs, and we have unemployed St. Louisans. How do we make that connection? And so we decided to say, okay, this connection is connecting. Let's connect talent to opportunity. We have people who've been incarcerated, especially a lot of them for nonviolent offenses. Let's take them. You tell us what exact certifications you need for this for these particular positions. You got 70 positions open. Tell us what what that certification is. We will provide a training for that particular certification open it up to youth and open it up, up to people that have been incarcerated and then help them get those certifications. And then now that gives them a job and that helps to build um, St. Louis again. Do we incarcerate too many people? I believe we do. I believe we do. We need we need rehabilitation services. We need therapy. You know, it's not about I think that we over incarcerate and un- uneducate, uh, undereducate. If we put more if we put more emphasis on education, if we put more emphasis on um, real job training programs and open the door for people um, that have past histories, we will see a different St. Louis because that directly, poverty directly, uh, and people being incarcerated, it, that people coming back out, all of that affects the safety of St. Louis. So why not educate our people and, and to help in the end keep our people safe? What's your feeling on uh, either legalizing or decriminalizing certain certain drugs? Let, let's just start with marijuana. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it should be legalized throughout the country, first of all? Um, I do, but I think that it should not be. I think that we can't just say um, – Let's just legalize marijuana, and then we have all of these people incarcerated for for those offenses. We have to tackle that first. So actually, for me, until we can have a real conversation and make that really clear cut, how we're going to what we're going to do with those records and how we're and how those people will be released and what will happen from there, until we can do that, then I can't. I, we, we can't do one without the other. When we talk about the opioid situation, mm-hmm. one thing that's striking to me is how different it was from like the crack oh epidemic gosh. in the nineteen eighties, where the sort of solution to that was throwing a lot of mostly black people in jail. And now there seems to be with with heroin addicts and opioid addicts about um, a lot about rehabilitation. And I don't want to over I don't want to over 
simplify, like there are a lot of black people and white people who are addicted to heroin right. and opioids. But how would you deal with that situation? And how would you want to deal it deal with it differently than the 1980s, which I think pretty much everyone has agreed was not the way to right. deal with addiction? Right. So, I mean, it should be a public health crisis. But I'll say this. Um, it, that thing really hurts me. That's personal for me because I witnessed so many people that I know go to jail. So many of my friends' parents and go to jail because they were addicted to crack. You know, they they ended up they you know would get involved in some things when they just needed somebody to they needed rehabilitation. They needed someone to help them, and so we can't make that mistake again. But not only that, we can't make that mistake. Some of those people are still in jail, or some of those people still need help. So we need to go back and grab them help them and then also look at this opioid crisis and then make sure that um, that those resources are there, that we're um, providing real services. Because one thing that I found is even on my job, when I would look for a place, I'm looking for services for someone who's suffering. Being able to find a place even locally has been such a hard thing. How can they get in? Who's going to pay for it? All of those questions. We're sending people way out to get those needs met. And so now they're so far from their families. They don't want to go. It's so, you know, we, we have we need more resources and we need more people paying attention to this. We, we have a caller who wants to get into the conversation. So let's bring in Rich. He's calling from the Bevo neighborhood. Rich, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Don. Thanks for taking my call again. Go ahead. Uh, I just want to ask Miss Bush. I live in South St. Louis, as Don has mentioned, uh, which used to be part of the 3rd District, which uh, had long been Dick Gephardt's district and more recently Russ Carnahan's. And then with the last census, it became a part of the 1st District. And Lacey Clay has been my congressman since 2012. I have not heard a word from him. I, I, you know, I I, uh, do online activism and I send in petitions. And I hear from Claire McCaskill, who I voted for, and I've heard from, um, I can't remember the other guy's name. We get get uh, the point, but time's getting away from us. Uh, Rich, uh, if you have a question, uh, state it, please. What sort of feedback do we hear? Any town hall meetings in South St. Louis? I've never heard about any of that stuff. So that's pretty much my question. Thank you. Uh, Okay, so is your question, will I hold town hall meetings? and be visible in the community? Is that what you're asking? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I've been, that's part, uh, that's a big part of why I want to go because I feel like that's what's been missing. That's something that I would have loved to have seen, been a part of, just having that understanding of what's really happening and how do, how does the regular everyday person understand what's going on and then make a decision about what's needed for their community. So absolutely, that is part of my plan, but not just town halls. I want to be able to say, hey, Jimmy Jam has a coffee shop over on such and such street. Meet me there on Saturday at 12 o'clock. Let's discuss these bills that are coming. You know, that's the kind of congressperson I want to be. I want to be on the ground. I want to work in in D.C., but also work in the community because that's who I am. And that part won't get lost on me. You know, I've been following Lacey Clay's political career, recent political career, since he ran against Russ Carnahan. And every cycle, there seems to be a group of adversaries that swear that his political luster has Worn off in 2014, um, his protege Joshua Peters ran in North St. Louis. A lot of people wanted to defeat him. Joshua Peters won. 2016, Marie Chappelle Nadal ran against him, and a whole bunch of progressive activists ran along with her, um, including yourself in the U.S. Senate race. And Lacey Clay won. There seems to be, a, a, besides you, there's also kind of a slate of renegade progressive uh, candidates, <laughs> Lisa Clancy. Uh, to some extent, Mark Montavani, Wesley Bell, some state rep candidates. How is that going to affect this race, and how can you 
do what other people couldn't do uh, with, with Lacey Clay in the past. We're exciting people to the polls. And so that's what it's about. We're exciting people to the polls and um, we're giving people a reason to want to uh, to vote, people to want to come out. Um, even And we're also helping Prop A. You know, for me, making sure that, that we have that no vote on Prop A. It's not just all, we have great candidates running, but it's not just about the candidates running. It's also about um, what else is on the ballot. We only have a few seconds left. Somebody, so you're bringing people to the polls, but somebody has written us saying a lot of your yard signs are, be, are turning up missing. Are you oh, aware of that? They're turning up in, missing. In the Olivet area? Yes, they are. Uh, right. They're turning up missing, and they're also being hidden. I'm finding them up under things. It's, you know, and we don't have to do that. You know, we, we, let's run a clean race. Let's just, you know, I'm not moving anybody else's yard signs, so I just wish people wouldn't move ours. Alrighty. I don't know why anyone would want to go to Congress these days, given the fact that it's <laughs> not been very productive for a long time. But, but uh, Corey Bush, we want to thank you so much for thank being you. with us. Good luck on August 7th, of course. Uh, you're running against incumbent St. Louis Congressman Lacey Clay in that August primary. The congressman is going to be with us tomorrow. DeMarco Davidson and Joshua Sharp are the other Democrats on the ballot uh, on the 7th. Thanks, too, to Jason Ship. Rosenbaum for being with us. What did I say? Ship. I think yes. it's Ship. Yes, yes. Joshua Ship. Oh, uh, and DeMarco dropped anymore. out, but continued. Oh, did, okay, all righty. Well, that's the last, last information I had. Anyway, thank you for being with us, and uh, good luck, as I say. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.